1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate also teach. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know what I thought today as the Dow gained 228 points, bursting through the 27,000 level, while the S&P Vans 0.23% and the NASDAQ dipped 0.08%, I wasn't thinking about the Fed like everybody else. I was thinking that scale, yes, scale is a wonderful thing. What do I mean by scale? A company with scale is a company that's big enough and to control its own destiny. A company that scales is one that survives and then thrives in even the toughest environment that a Fed chief is worried about or anybody else who just listens to nothing but Washington. Scale. Scale. Simply being bigger than the other guy. A lot bigger is an enormous advantage. And we saw the benefits play out all day today. Exhibit A. Amazon. It crossed the trillion-dollar threshold this morning, train for giving up some of the gains this afternoon. And Amazon didn't become this unstoppable behemoth just because Jeff Bezos is brilliant, which he is. It got here by leveraging its scale. In other words, Amazon's dominant because it's so big. They use that scale to get better prices from their suppliers, which they then can pass on to you, the customer, undercutting the competition. Apropos of nothing, this is why we have antitrust law, because when you get big enough, well, no one can compete against you. Bezos saw how he could use Amazon's scale to dominate retail, but he didn't stop there. He figured he could do the same thing in cloud computing by creating Amazon Web Services, AWS, It's one of the largest software businesses on Earth, and it's still growing at a 40% clip. It's a marvel. And when we had Andy Jassy, the head of AWS, on the show recently, he kept telling us how his business has scaled to the point that it's the dominant player in the cloud, which is true. That allows him to innovate and keep prices down, drive away the competition. I urge you to go back and look at that interview. I thought it was mind-blowing. I said to myself, Darn it, man, that guy is just real smart. Amazon also knows that the secret to maintaining scale is keeping your workforce happy. And that's why Bezos is committing $700 million to retraining workers so they can thrive in this new economy, whether they stay in Amazon or leave for other opportunities. Please read that press release. It's much more than just blather came out this morning. You can't win in this environment without human capital. And while that's an extremely creepy phrase, it's still true. Who else benefits from scale? How about the silent trillionaire? How about Microsoft? This morning, Callum put out a buy recommendation titled "A Framework for Microsoft's Next 100 Billion in Revenues." You know, when I looked at it, I said to somebody, I "said Oh, 100 million. All right. Well, so what? No, 100 billion. Something they predict will happen by fiscal year 2025. Hmm, that's not that far from now. I'm using this one right now. I switch all the time. I use that one too, and then this is my wife's favorite." Talk about apropos of nothing. Anyway, most companies never even get to $1 billion in revenues. Here, Cowan's talking about how Microsoft can almost double this year's projected $124 billion in revenues in six years' time. It was an astonishing read. And I think it was right. Why? Because Microsoft's going to rival Amazon in the cloud with Azure its own web services business. Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella has quietly put together a powerhouse cloud division that's growing so fast that it will soon become a larger part of the company than even Microsoft Office. In fact, Calum believes in the commercial cloud that it will account for 90% of that next $100 billion in sales. Guys, come on. I know this stock has moved up tremendously. I know it could give up a couple points when reports this week, but You don't get the trillion dollars for doing nothing. At the moment, only Microsoft has the scale to compete with Amazon here. As you can imagine, there are many companies, including almost every large retailer, though, that refuses to do business with Amazon Web Services, given that Amazon is their mortal enemy. Now, one of the biggest beneficiaries uh, of scale benefits of scaling it, is that it, it keeps your suppliers in check, and that keeps your gross margins up and makes it so that we like your stock more. And that's the main reason I've created a brand new acronym for the very few retailers that have enough scale to control over their costs and therefore their destiny. Yep, I'm talking about Watch, Walmart, Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. Watch. I bring this up because it's easy to understand how dominant Amazon Web Services. Is. You know it powers Amazon Prime. You know it helps them predict when you want before, what you want before you know it yourself. It's hard to get your head around Microsoft's Azure because it's not oriented around the consumer. It's a business to business product. But you all know what? You all know it. You probably all like them. So how do these companies maintain their scale at a time when most brick-and-mortar retailers seem to be wilting simple? They innovate. They change their stripes. They find ways to grow every day. They're brilliant. Let me walk you through them, starting with Walmart. You need to know that Walmart could easily become Sears. Stores were dowdy and unpleasant. They didn't really have an online presence. They paid their workers too little to keep them, and that wouldn't keep them there very long. It was not a great, it was suboptimal. Walmart's now changed all that. They've got a fantastic web business that will only get better now that Mark Lurie is fully integrating Jet.com. Did you see that interview when he came on? Wow. They pay people more, allowing them to hold on to the best workers, and that made their stores cleaner and brighter and more fun. Yes, fun! Best of all, Walmart can negotiate prices with any supplier at once because they can't afford not to sell into the Walmart channel, which is why I always say that's how you can buy French's mustard for one dollar. I got a picture to prove it. That's really bad for their supply chain, but oh my, is it ever great for their shareholders! This is a good stock, eh? I haven't covered it already. I am actually going to resist the urge to say more, other than next week's Amazon Prime Day, which is two days, and I can't wait. The T, the T is for Target. Oh, I don't think people realize how much CEO Brian Cornell has done to reinvent this company unless you've been to a target lately. I visited a new inner city store in Brooklyn, my home, the other day. One of many all over the country inner city news stores. And I can tell you that the combination of Shipt, which is S-H-I-P-T, their brilliant delivery system with their fun, even whimsical stores. Kale University. I love that. And great prices is allowing Target to own whole new metropolitan areas that everyone else had given up on foolishly, but not Cornell because he's a visionary. All right, so they only had 30 million customers. Walmart's got almost uh, 10 times that worldwide. You could argue that that means the company's too small to be in this, aus- this, illustri- group, this illustrious group. But given how fast Target's growing, I think it's only a matter of time that you won't feel that way. Oh, and don't underestimate their e-commerce business, which is scaling up right now. Stock to own. C. C stands for Costco. When you have about 83 million people who pay to be members of your buying club, you've got an amazing business. Costco's my favorite club, even more than the Summit Elks. They can raise the price of the cart, as they have several times, and I wouldn't even care. That's how much money I save. I'm jealous that my wife's an executive member, and I'm only a plebe. I am a two-cart guy. When I go, the wife takes one, I take the other. I know that I'm getting the lowest price of everything I buy there. I have seen Zenia shirts, Zanya, at Costco that cost less than what other merchants pay for them wholesale. These people are magicians. Finally, The H, Home Depot. Honestly, close followers of my outrageous Twitter feed, except for when I'm featuring NVIDIA the dog or my garden, know that I didn't initially include The H when I was noodling on my acronym. You might think I only added the despot because watch sounds a lot better than what? But in reality, Home Depot is great at selling merchandise quickly, which is, a, you know, these are called terms, which is a dream come true for suppliers, allowing them to get terrific deals. Obviously, if you're a tool or garden company and you don't sell them at Home Depot, you are dead. Enough said. They can make or break anybody. Now, is it right that we have a handful of gigantic retailers who can bully their suppliers into giving them better deals? Is it anti-competitive? That's not my department. You think i, I even got run the Justice Department? I'm here to help you identify high-quality stocks, like WATCH. Bottom line, as, you, uh, as an investor, you need to recognize which businesses can scale, because those are the ones that win, like Amazon, like Microsoft, like WATCH. Oh, and just wait until those ETF demons take my beautiful, lovable acronym and create a security to profit from it. They did it with FANG. They'll do it with Sherry in New Jersey. Sherry. Hey, Jim. Booyah. Booyah, Sherry. What's shaking? My question is regarding ticker symbol Twitter. So it has fallen from its high of forty one down to thirty four point five, and now it went
0: back up to round thirty seven. My question is, given the macro scrutiny on social media stocks and the company outlook, do you think it's worth to keep it or to sell it? No,
1: I want you to own it. I mean, I think the quarter's can be okay. The stock is a bit of a football. Dead Seagull's been going around telling decent things. Here's the problem with Twitter as I see it. Everybody thinks that because the president uses it all the time, it's a good stock, and uh, that's an interesting but not correct analysis. How about John J. O. N. not J. O. H. N. in New York? John. Yes. Hi, Jim. Love your show, and
0: thanks for taking my call. My pleasure. My question to you to you is about BlackBerry in comparison to CrowdStrike. The stock has taken a beating recently, even though it appears better positioned for excellent growth now that they've managed to transition. Completely out of the hardware business and into the higher margin software and services business using their artificial intelligence, right, cyber right. security, comparable to CrowdStrikes, their QNX security platform for self-driving vehicles, their asset tracking service, and their position in the up-and-coming IoT security right. market, to name a few. Is BlackBerry a buy at these levels, uh, I,
1: I have been hearing that uh, that very well very well uh, analyzed Wrap about BlackBerry for too long. Uh, In the meantime, so many other better companies, you know, like an Opta, like a Z-Scale, or like a Zendesk, uh, and and just uh, on and on, I could go about these, uh, Alteryx. They all have better software, and um, they've got more than these guys. All right, it's all about scale, people. Scale, scale, remember that word. It's about which businesses can scale. Watch! Watch out for Walmart, for Amazon, Target, Costco, and Home Depot. Oh man, buddy, today is it return to sender when it comes to FedEx? I'm eyeing the company's potential for a turnaround to see if we can start delivering profits once again that are bountiful. Then, after plenty of headlines in the cannabis space, I'm eyeing the buds and the duds in the cohort and telling you which plays could be worth the i n. How are you growing exports of U.S. LNG? Helping natural gas prices? Do they help them or do someone make money with it? I know who makes money. Don't miss my sit-down with Sharif, Mr. Cashflow, Suki. And stay with watch and stay with crazy. Don't
0: miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com. or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: Jeans, they're an American staple. No article of clothing is more closely linked to our nation's history. Today, denim's a $90 billion industry, but that success didn't come easy. You want to know why Jay Powell feels comfortable talking about rate cuts, even as the stock market screams to new highs and the doubters everywhere are saying, wow, is he crazy to do this? I say just look at the transports. Do you know that group's now down nearly 11 percent from a September high? The transports are the backbone of the economy. When their stocks are getting hammered, it's often a sign that we are headed into a slowdown. And within this group, we can't take our eyes off of FedEx. Fred Smith's shipping company has become the ultimate punching bag over the past few months, down nearly 20% from its highs in April. At its peak last September, FedEx was trading at $259. It's now at $162. It's been a brutal decline. But pretty much what you would expect when there's a t- downtick in worldwide commerce like Jay has been talking about. However, FedEx has been around for a long time, and it always seems to bounce back from periods of weakness. While it is a cyclical company, it's a very well-run cyclical. And when the global economy turns, FedEx will turn with it, too, and smarter than it does, smarter than everybody. And that's why you hear so many commentators trying to call the bottom of this thing whenever it's down. It can be a rocket ship. Every time, though, it tries to amount a comeback, something bad happens, and the stock finds itself in the doghouse. <laughs> So what do we do? What do we have to see before FedEx can give us a sustainable rally? Buy, 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 buy! Okay, first you need to know where the stock is coming from. The recent trouble for FedEx started last summer when the company reported a mixed quarter with not-so-hot guidance for fiscal 2019. Although at that point, Wall Street was more concerned with the size of the company's capital expenditures budget than with a slowing economy. Then FedEx reported solid results in September, so we're doing okay, right? September's looking all right. Even raising, raising, not cutting, raising fiscal 2019 earnings guidance a bit. But then came the gut punch in December when FedEx gave us another mixed quarter, better-than-expected sales with lackluster operating income, and management slashed their earnings forecast for 2019. And remember, I'm always telling you that it's the forecast that matters more than the earnings so analysts cut numbers across the board, and the stock crater falling to $150 during that Christmas Jay pal bear market. Remember, the fourth quarter was brutal for pretty much every international company. We had an escalation in the trade war with China and a clueless Federal Reserve that was aggressively raising interest rates just as the economy was starting to show signs of weakness. That's not a great environment for FedEx. But then right as the new year got started, Fed Chief Jay pal declared that he was done tightening, and the stock market snapped right back. And FedEx went with it. Now, for a while, it looked like FedEx had its mojo back. But by mid-April, the stock had rebounded to $199, okay? Even though the company actually cut its full-year forecast again when it reported in March. And then May happened. It's May, it's May, the brutal month of May. As the trade negotiations with China fell apart and President Trump decided to start escalating again, FedEx stock rolled over. Hey, makes sense. Anything that inhibits trade is bad news for this company, right? I mean it's a shipping company. But then it became apparent that there was more to it than just tariff-induced slowdown in commerce. At the end of May, Reuters reported that the FedEx the FedEx had drawn the ire, perhaps the wrath, of Huawei the big Chinese telco company. Hey, $100 billion in sales. That's the equipment maker that Trump partially blacklisted. What happened? Well, they apparently, apparently, diverted two packages that were addressed to Huawei in Asia. Huawei is one of the largest companies in China and has a lot of sway with the Communist Party. So there's a looming concern that they'll add FedEx to their list of unreliable entities, which would really damage their ability to do business in their second largest market. Remember, when Fred Smith came on here, what did he say? China is too large to ignore. That was a great visit. got to get back. Put it all together and you can see why the stock traded back down to 152 in early June. Once again, though, investors started betting on a comeback. People figured the worst was over, and FedEx managed to give you a decent bounce. Stock climbing to just over 170 in less than three weeks. And then once again, those bars got burned, and FedEx plunged back to the mid-150s, the week heading, uh, uh, leading up to the company's latest quarter. I mean, so look, I mean, honestly, I mean, there is one trajectory here, right? Which brings us to June 25th when FedEx reported that this time we got another mixed quarter, although it was mixed in a different way. The sales came in a little bit light, but the earnings were higher than expected. On the conference call, Fred Smith described the 2019 fiscal year as a year of both challenge and change blaming the slowdown in global commerce for the weakness. At the same time, the companies had to spend a lot of money building out capacity to handle all of the demand from e-commerce. Worse, the forecast for the 2020 fiscal year didn't exactly inspire confidence. FedEx opted to give more qualitative than quantitative guidance, predicting earnings per share growth in low single digits, excluding some one-time items. Well, That is pretty bearish, people. Many of us were looking for more than $16 per share. Instead, it might be less than 15 In his prepared remarks, President and COO Rajesh Subramaniam, sorry if I mispronounced that at all, Subramaniam, said 2020 would be a transition year. Uh-oh. That's a term that investors typically hate to hear, especially from a company that's just coming out of a horrible year. We thought 2019 was the transition year. Now we need another transition year? So you'd think the stock will get hammered, right? Wrong! FedEx rallied on the news, folding 2.5% the very next day and tacking on another 2% the day after that. This stock, oh boy, this stock's now run from just under 156 when it reported two and a half weeks ago to 162 now. Isn't that terrific? Okay after another strong session today. This is a big deal. When a stock rallies on bad news, it's often a sign that the shares have finally bottomed. At the very least, it usually means that most of the weak hands have been washed out, which is what I think is happening here. Everyone who was going to dump FedEx because they expected a bullish forecast, they're totally out of the stock. You also had a number of analysts arguing that the quarter was better than feared and management's realistic expectations will put a floor under the stock. I admit that sounds flimsy, but historically, it's been a very effective way to spot bottoms. At the same time, FedEx is dirt cheap historically, as long as you believe the company can its own forecast. Of course, the bulls have been saying FedEx is cheap since last year, and it hasn't helped much, much at all because management has repeatedly cut numbers. But consider this. Over the past 10 years, FedEx has traded 16.4 times earnings on average. The cheapest it's been this past May when it dropped to 10 times earnings. Now, 11 times earnings. That's near the bottom of its historic range. FedEx is as cheap as it's been at any point since the financial crisis. That's got to be worth something. So what's the final ingredient for rally? We need some resolution on the trade situation with China some sign that FedEx won't end up on the Chinese blacklist. Oh, and it wouldn't hurt if FedEx can get its act together with the integration of TNT European Express Delivery Company that they bought in 2016 went on the numbers for some time. Now, yesterday, Goldman Sachs added FedEx to their conviction buy. Not just a buy, but conviction buy. A very bullish call where they argued that the franchise is too strong to be kept down. Goldman gave us a $200 price target. They think most of the risks already baked into the stock. And it's too cheap to ignore. Maybe Goldman's jumping the gun. I think they're very much on to something. Bottom line, FedEx has been bent. It's been spindle. It's been mutilated over the past 18 months. But when the companys disappointing guidance a few weeks ago, the stock roared higher. And when you can rally on bad news, that is often a sign that the bottom is in. It's as close as you're going to get to a bell going off. I think you can start buying FedEx right here, right now. If it goes back down, it is so darn cheap. Then you can just buy more in the weeks. Dead Money is back after the book. You and I need to talk about cannabis. A couple months ago, I told us that many of these marijuana CEOs were making incredibly bold forecasts that would be very difficult for them to actually meet. So when the formerly blazing hot pot stocks started cooling off in recent weeks, I can't say it came as any surprise to me. Although I never would have predicted that Canopy growth would be the epicenter of the sell-off. I've long held that Canopy is the best breed player in the Canadian cannabis space. Remember, they've got a $4 billion war chest from Constellation Brands. I figured they could use that cash to establish a dominant position in this new industry. But last week, Bruce Linton, Canopy's founder and co-CEO, got fired. Mostly because Constellation, the largest shareholder, wanted him gone. In part because the last quarter was a disappointment to them. We spoke to Bill Newlands, the CEO from Constellation, earlier this week, and he laid it all out for us. So in light of that interview and what we heard recently by an alpha called Green Growth Brands, a cannabis retailer that wants to be judged like any other retailer, which would be a big change of pace for this group. I think we have to reassess how these stocks are trading because I know many of you do trade them. First of all, let me get you up to speed. A little over a year ago, the Canadian Parliament voted to legalize recreational weed. And that law went into effect last October. In the months between the law's passage and going into effect, the cannabis stocks caught fire. It didn't hurt the Constellation Brands, the big American beer and liquor company, the one you know as, as Corona Modelo, invested a big chunk of change into canopy growth. This was actually their second investment, the $4 billion one that gave them a 38% stake in the cannabis concern and a right to buy majority control, hence they could fire Linton. The cash infusion set off a massive rally in the whole group. But once legalization went into effect on October 17th, it turned out to be the ultimate sell-the-news event. And the pot stocks got crushed during the fourth quarter, and the the meltdown was awful for them. They did even worse than the averages. For example, the MJ, (laughs) the oldest of the marijuana ETFs, lost nearly half of its value between mid-September and late-October. It was brutal. However, at the end of last year, the U.S. Congress snuck in an amendment into the Farm Bill that decriminalized cannabidiol, CBD, a kind of cannabis derivative without much THC, which is the active ingredient that uh, I'm told gets people high. Once again, the pot stocks rallied, and there was newfound. Notice I'm calling them pot stocks, not cannabis, because it's like, come on, enough. And, and there was newfound optimism surrounding both the Canadian operators and many of the U.S.-based companies selling CBD and medicinal marijuana with stocks to trade in Canada. That momentum vanished this spring when we started seeing cold, hard earnings numbers, and the numbers revealed that the Canadian cannabis market is going to be a dogfight. This is why I told you to be wary of some of those wilder promises made by marijuana executives, even though I'm a big believer in the long-term thesis of the disruption of perhaps more than $250 billion dollars worth of current sales of other products. Now, one reason these stocks have been so tough to own is that many shareholders seem to have unrealistic expectations. There are some people who think that marijuana is going to be legalized in the U.S. at a federal level sometime in the not-too-distant future. I hear that all the time. Let me tell you something. That's not with this Congress. Even the CBD decriminalization from late last year was less generous than it sounds. You need to produce the stuff the way the Department of Agriculture tells you to or it's still off-limits. And now we're starting to see pushback from the FDA, which wants to establish a regulatory framework before it lets companies add the stuff to food products, dietary supplements. Uh, You've probably seen these CBD stores popping up all over the place, but it hasn't been the slam dunk that many investors thought it would be. And the big package food companies, they still seem very hesitant to get involved. You know I ask all of them about this. More importantly, recreational weed is still illegal real crime at the federal level. And while the House Judiciary Committee started holding hearings on decriminalization yesterday, this is a long way from becoming actual law. Of course, the states will keep legalizing it in a piecemeal fashion. But if you're betting that Congress will take action, make it so that all the big, say, um, consumer packaged food companies will come in and start doing things, don't hold your breath. Without the promise of legalization here in the U.S., you have to make decisions on the cannabis stocks based on the numbers. No longer optimistic promises. And the actual numbers are complicated. Put it diplomatically. That brings us back to Canopy Growth, the best breed player in the space. A few weeks ago, Canopy reported a quarter that was widely seen disappointing, especially by controlling shareholder can- uh, Constellation, which decried the weakness on their own conference call. While Canopy's sales are still growing like a weed, they saw a pretty sizable year over year decline in pricing, and its kilograms sold came in far below Wall Street's expectations. Adding insult to injury, Canopy's total operating expenses are growing faster than its sales. For many investors, this was a rude awakening cold water in the face, taking over the Canadian cannabis industry. Turns out it's going to cost a lot of money. Then last Wednesday, when we heard that Bruce Linton, the founder and co-CEO, who had been a guest many times on Mad Money, had resigned, and when he called into Squawk Box, he made it clear that he'd been terminated. Wow, this was big news. Given that Constellation Brands has effectively controlled cannabis since its big investment last year, we went directly to the source, CEO Bill Newlands. He told us that the company needed a different leader to move on to the next phase of the growth. My takeaway is the Constellation 1's to seem like, um, I don't, let's call it more legitimate, because it's continuing to expand into new areas, especially health and medical products, where you've got to be more buttoned down. Going forward, they want someone who will focus less on deal-making and building the brand and focus more on execution. Bruce Linton didn't just get fired because he put up a bad quarter. He got fired because in- investors are finally beginning to pay a lot of attention to the numbers. He was a terrific founder, an outstanding promoter, and yes, Kind of a super great guy. But the company wants to go in another direction, and he couldn't pivot the way that they wanted to. A lot of what's happened in the country, I'm going to give this guy credit, with things that he said and did, and I don't mean so, to be so tough on him. Uh, Bill Mullen's a very serious businessman, and so's Linton. But they're two different kinds, and one's not working right now for this stock, Canopy. So, how do we evaluate the cannabis stocks going forward? We don't want to hear about m- how many stores you got going to put up. We want to know how your products are selling. We want same store sales. We want hard facts. To me, that means you need to be even more selective with the pot stocks. However, I do think that some of them are worth buying in the weakness. And honestly, even after the not so hot quarter, Canopy is still in the strongest position here. The company's got plenty of cash, even if you Linton's spending spree. And I think the new solo CEO, and that's Mark Zakulin. Formerly Linton's Cosio, I think he can hit the targets. You got my blessing to buy it on the way down. Who else? Look, the only other major player I'm recommending is Kronos, the cannabis company that got a 1.8 billion billion investment from Altria. It's got good management and a perfect game plan. I welcome them on the show. Everything else, I think you need to approach with more skepticism. Another one we're talking about. Know, let's see. Be skeptical of Afria. Be skeptical. Tilray, I would avoid the cannabis ETS because I end up owning the group of the bad. And this group, the bad could end up being very overvalued. What else? I'd keep an eye on innovative industrial properties, IIPR, the Cannabis Real Estate Investment Trust, which we profiled just a couple of weeks ago. I think this one can still work, but you gotta give it a little pullback. I mean all time high today, of one thirty seven. Yeah, it was twelve at this time last year. Finally, as always, you can own GW Pharmaceutical, which makes, and I mentioned that last time, makes real medication based on synthetic cannabidiol. And I'll tell you why this matters. They hate being lumped in with the cannabis industry, but I think GW is worth mentioning because with the FDA throwing up legal hurdles to CBD products, it's given us a new sense of just how valuable GW Pharma is. Of course, the stock's up nearly 80% year-to-date, so you might not want to chase it. But this is another one that I really like going to pull back, and you can buy some right here. What's their secret? Why do I like it so much? One word, dosing. You can't effectively dose real cannabis. It, it's a plant. But the FDA and the medical community want precision. And only a pharmaceutical company that makes a synthetic version like GW can give it to the bottom line. As the weekends exit the cannabis space, investors are starting to care about the actual results for once. I think the group may have to do some cooling off. But as the pot stocks settle... You can buy the likes of Canopy and Kronos into Weakness. Don't forget GW Pharma. And just understand that the paradigm has now shifted and is much more rigorous for the entire industry. Brandon in Florida. Brandon. Yes, sir. I was wondering what your uh, thought was on Hexco. Hexo regarding the deal with Molson quarters, and if it would be worth it buying it on the current dip. Well, I mean, you know, they are partners. That got a lot of people thinking that Hexo is going to get taken out. Got a lot of hot money in it. That was a mistake, and I think it's a mistake to own it. I do think the Canopy is a better investment. The paradigm has shifted for the cannabis industry. Now there's rigor. The stocks have some cooling off we'll to do, but as they do, you can do some buying of Canopy. And Kronos, what's more made money at? Shri is considered an energy oracle. What does he have to say about the sector these days? I've got the exclusive. Then it's probably the least surprising thing in your mailbox. A Bed Bath & Beyond coupon. With the stock down 40% over the past few months, should you consider the stock at a discount or is this merchandise damage? And all your call rapid fire tonight's edition of the lightning round. So stay with Kramer. Could this be Tellurian's time to shine? You know, a few years ago, Sharif Suki, he's the guy who practically invented the liquefied natural gas export business in the United States, created Tellurian to invest in natural gas transportation infrastructure. We produce way too much natural gas in this country. He taught us that, too, to the point where a great deal of it just gets burned off or flare because it's cheaper than paying for storage. But this stuff is very valuable overseas. It's just that there's no easy way to ship it overseas. After all, it's gas. That's why we have all these liquefied natural gas terminals popping up. You need to turn into you need to turn it into liquid before you can transport it across the ocean. I've long been a believer in this business. Maybe the second person after Sharif Suki himself. But for a while, it seemed like not much that was happening to Tellurian, which is why the stock's been range bound single digits. Earlier this year, the company got government approval to build an LNG export terminal in Louisiana. Two months ago, the Energy Department gave them permission to sell the stuff. Finally, just yesterday, Tellurian finalized a huge investment with Total, a gigantic French energy company, which has catapulted the stock higher. Could this have more room to run? Let's take a closer look with one of our favorite guests. Let's go to Sharif Suki. He's the chairman of Delorean to learn more about these developments and where his company is headed. Mr. Suki, welcome back to Mad Money. Sharif, it's great to see you <laughs> as always. Good to thank see you. It. Thank you. Sharif, even as recently as two days ago, I would have started the interview by saying, when are you going to line up a big international oil company? You got one of the biggest, didn't you? Yesterday. And how much money did they put in?
0: The total will be about 900 million dollars, so they're going to do three things. They're going to invest directly in the project 500 million dollars. They are going to purchase an additional million and a half tons, so roughly uh, 300 million a day, that they will pay for based on Asian prices. And then they were gonna, they're going to make a further investment in Tallulian of $200 million. As you know, they've already made a $200 million investment at a $10 price. That's incredible.
1: And it is the validation. Again, you did tell us that there's tremendous deban- demand. The other There's an article in The New York Times. says, Israel's energy dilemma, more natural gas than it can use or export. Part of the problem is time is just as Israel's prepared to produce and export large amounts of gas, the United States, um, Australia, Qatar, Russia are flooding the market with cheap gas.
0: Well, cheap gas would create more demand. So for Israel... Um, small country the best solution for them is to find a way to do business with their neighbors because there's a tremendous amount of demand and necessity for gas in the area and you can sell the gas very profitably in the area and they have some nice resources that's an added piece of leverage they have in the negotiations with their various neighbors. But it They're does. already doing business with the Jordanians and the Egyptians. But
1: you're not concerned that maybe they get a pipeline up to uh, Europe and some of your European customers, prospective European customers, don't want...
0: So um, A few weeks ago, you had Scott Sheffield here. Yeah, wouldn't he, dynamite? He, he was great. And he's one of my favorites, and know. I've been talking to him regularly. He's rarely been wrong. And on, a, on your show... He said that the Permian Basin oil production is going from 4 million barrels a day to 8 million barrels a day. That means there is 25 BCF of gas that can be given away for free. (laughs) So I'm not concerned about anything. I'm concerned about stopping flaring in the Permian Basin, get the gas on the water, and put it on ships. And you can be on the water for less than $2. And and So there is no competition for us out there. We just have to build the infrastructure.
1: Is this not one of the great natural resources our country has, and you are putting to work, what, and you have a nice slide about, all the, what, 6,000 construction workers right now? Yes. You are putting to work in this country. Yes. It's got to be, once again, like the last one you're doing, the lar- one of the largest construction projects in the country. It will be, yes. It will be. Now, are you um, able, and talk to about how you're bringing all that natural gas. Some people feel there's not enough pipeline, but you're solving that problem, too.
0: Well, I think people are right, but you can count on other people to do things for you. So this time around, since we're in a commodity business now, LNG has become a commodity. You have to be in the top quartile in terms of your cost structure. And if you are in the top quartile in a commodity business, you will do very well. But in order to do that in the United States today, we know we have very, very cheap gas in more than one area. And what we need to do is build the pipeline infrastructure to bring the gas to the coastline and then build the liquefaction to expose it to global prices.
1: Even if we get the, the pipelines down to Mexico, we'll still have enough cheap natural gas?
0: We're not talking about the same thing. Mexico is not going to be consuming 25 BCF right. a day. Right. Okay. Okay? Right. We're talking about an enormous gigant. amount and of Asia's gas. And Asia, needs it more it's than ever? A dif- it's a different scale. We're talking about something totally different. I don't even think that the Permian Basin producers have understood what it is that they're holding. I mean, they, tell- because if they don't do something with the gas, they will not produce the oil. Right. The idea that we can continue to flare forever and to become the world's largest flare is not realistic. No. Uh, we are now number four. We passed Nigeria. The club is Russia, Iraq, Iran, the United States. At the pace that we grew flaring last year, we're going to be number two. Next year, and number one in two years. That's amazing. That's just not acceptable. So Mexico is going to take an infant, an infant okay. it's a very, very small piece of what it is that we're going to produce. Okay, now the
1: old business model, because you talk about the money, you actually deride your old business model. You say, Chenier, developer incurs risk, here you own the infrastructure, better investment at this
0: point for the people who are watching the show. I'm not writing. The, I'm not writing anything. I think it was the right business plan for, the for that time. moment. For that moment, that moment has gone. You okay. now have to go to the next level and adapt to the situation today. Okay. Now you have never. I mean, this is an unbelievable thing, but you know, you've never been
1: wrong predicting the price of oil, and everyone else has. You, oil staying the same right here. I.
0: Th- Remember, you've never been wrong. But, hesitate. but, but I, Okay, so what I'm going to tell you now is uh, I'm comfortable in the band, but I think the risk on both sides is intolerable. Intolerable? Yes. So it makes Excuse it very me. hard to make a bet in one direction or the I mean, other. Do we care about a hurricane, hurricane barrier? It, uh, I'm not talking about this. I'm talking about the fact that... You were uh, like, I'm a big thinker, but you were said four
1: different times and I'm a small thinker. <laughs> no, I haven't <You>, <laughs> said that. <laughs>
0: So what what I'm thinking now is uh, that the Permian Basin has become the swing producer in the world, and therefore what happens in America matters more than what happens at OPEC.
1: Well, all these things that have happened, you have predicted. Mr. Sheffield did, too. I'm glad you mentioned him. You, two have been the most right of anyone on the show. Congratulations. Congratulations on this new company, which is doing incredibly well, and on that total investment. That's Sharif Suki. He's the chairman of Tellurian. Wow. Always great to see you, sir. May might be right back. It- and then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Skate! It's over the lighting round. I'm going to start with John in Michigan. John!
0: Hey, Jim. Love the show. Thanks. Just wanted to know your thoughts on Amgen.
1: Well, my travel trust owns Amgen. I have to admit, it's been a big disappointment. It to was good. Now it's not. I am not going to recommend the stock here. Let's go to Daniel in New York. Daniel! Jim, I want to remain prudent with what I inherited when both my parents passed away in 2017. What do you think about Sarepta Therapeutics? I think they're brilliant. I think they've got the right combination. I think that a lot of people doubted them. I think those people are wrong. Let's go to Evan in Pennsylvania. Evan! Booyah! From Oof. the sweetest place on earth. What? Where would that be? Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, yeah. I had some Cadbury today. Second rate. What's up? Just kidding, Mongolese What's up? Hey Jimbo, I uh, just had a question with Wingstop sure. at near. W- Wingstop. I'll answer Wingstop even if my friend from Hershey. Cut cut off, but Wingstop is one terrific stock, and we have had them on multiple times. Oh and every God. time I see two things, I want on the stock, and I want to have a franchise. Kevin in California, Kevin. Hey booyah, Jim. We're talking Regenex Bio RGNX. I don't know those particular fellows, and I will have to do some homework on that. Let's go to Joey in Illinois. Joey! Hey, Jim. I'm a 20-year-old college student, and I'm a die-hard Jim Cramer fan. I've read your book, Watch TV Get Rich, and I watch Mad Money every day. And it's the reason I started trading and investing. My question is about the stock pizza. I'm up 27% and with the stock hitting all-time highs seemingly every day. I'm wondering if I should take some profit. No, no. Visa's fantastic and you're a young person. You can really ride it out. I think it's really very meaningful that you watch the show. I, I heard that every single 20-year-old in America had cut the court. This person has not cut the court. And that's one of the reasons why I love this show. Let's go to David in Georgia. David. Yes, watch your show daily, Jim. Yeah. WP Carey. Yeah, these global net leases. It's okay. It's okay. It's uh, a read. It's okay. That's all I'm going to say. And that, ladies and gentlemen, Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. (laughs) The clock is ticking on bed, bath, and beyond. Well, the interim CEO Mary Winston did a serviceable job on last night's conference call, especially considering that she's only been at the helm since the end of May, I think she has her work cut out for her. Sure, Bed Bath has almost a billion in cash, yeah. uh, but I have to wonder if they'll need to spend a big chunk, if not all of it, to stay relevant and stave off the competition. Winston knows it. She started the conference call with the acknowledgement that, quote, we need to give our customers a reason to keep shopping in our brick-and-mortar stores, and in order to do that, we must upgrade and enhance our store experience, end quote. At least she understands the problem. But, geez, I can't think of a single reason to go to this version of Bed, Bath & Beyond. Can you? Oh, those coupons, don't do it for me anymore. Winston's predecessor, the factless Steve Tamaris, spent years trying to update and enhance the stores, and although I have to admit that his efforts seemed pretty half-hearted and didn't really matter. Still, I want to know. Is there anything, is there anything enough to say, to fend off Target? The chain that almost seems to be specifically targeting Bed Bath? Target has multiple store formats that feel exactly like Bed Bath and Beyond, but with a better ex- selection, better execution, better prices. How do you beat that? We know Bed Bath has 1,536 stores, so they'll need to spend a fortune to fix all them up. Target has more than 1,800 stores, and they also have put the money up for new locations to annihilate the competition. There's almost $12 billion in sales up for grabs here if BBBY doesn't get it together. So how urgent is this thing? Frankly, I'm not sure if they even know the urgency themselves. While well, the company needs every penny it can get its hands on to turn this thing around and still spend $81 million on buybacks this quarter. Enough with the buybacks. Bed Bath has the most absurd repurchase program I've ever seen. They shrunk the share count from 224 million six years ago to 127 million today. Yep, they retired more than 40% of the shares outstanding, and it did nothing. They might as well have set that money on fire. Six years ago, Bed Bath was trading at 80. Now it's at 11. You know that line about how the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result? That's how I feel about their buyback. Since 2015, they repurchased more than $2.1 billion worth of stock. But right now, the market cap is just $1.4 billion. That's a travesty of a mockery of a sham. It has to be the dumbest buyback in history. The fact that it was still going on this quarter is simply unbelievable to me. So can Mary Winston turn things around? Maybe. I like the activist investors who spoke at a corporate conf- uh, governance conference I just ran earlier this year, particularly John Duskin from Masellum Capital Management, who's involved here. He knows what to do. He's got a plan. With the right permanent CEO, it's possible Bed Bath can execute his turnaround plan. But the conference call is not reassuring. And with the same store sales declining 6.6%, it's going to be very hard for Bed Bath to escape its fate as a market share donor to the likes of Target. I think the new management will end the ridiculous buyback. I expect to use every penny to improve the stores. Problem is, I don't know if that'll be enough. Because Target will spend just as much to drive Bed Bath's adjacent stores out of business. It's a tough road. I'm not sure if they have enough time, and that's the big thing to pull off a turn. Fortunately, still got that cash. But between the online colossus that is Amazon and the brick and mortar nemesis that is Target, whoever ends up as permanent CEO here will have their hands full, shrinking the company, closing on profitable stores, let alone giving Bed Bath and Beyond a new reason for beef. Stick with Craig. been a long-suffering believer in United Health, in Aetna, which is now CVS, in Humana, but they got their wishes. Washington's not going to come down that hard on them, and I think these stocks are going to have not just one day run like they had today, but multiple day runs. I like to say there's always a more market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here, oh man, buddy. I'm Jimmy Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow!